It's Monday, April 6th, 2020. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode number one of the 5049 CoronaCast. How you guys doing? You all right? Uh, thanks for tuning in for what I hope is one of not many in a new podcast series uh, that I am bringing to you during this time of absolute cultural mayhem and torture. I'm coming to you from the American epicenter of said torture of the pandemic, New York City. We're three weeks into the quarantine and I am losing my fucking mind. How are you? I'm going to go ahead and assume that if you're listening to this, you have probably also listened to the podcast uh, that I did for several years to which this is an extension, the 5049 podcast. Uh, I haven't posted an episode of that show since last July. Um, and a lot has happened since then, uh, especially in the last few weeks, as you are all aware. Um, but, you know, I'll give you a quick you know, just explanation of what's going on and why I'm putting this up right now. Um, I'm putting this up right now, and I will be putting up a, a new episode of the podcast every Monday during the entire duration of this quarantine. Uh, and why am I doing that? Over the years, I've heard from lots and lots of people uh, all over the world that the podcast that I was doing, the 5049 podcast, has helped them to feel less lonely and more involved with the world of music um, that they care about. In the last three weeks of this quarantine, I have felt a new kind of loneliness that I didn't even know existed. You know, it's really a trip to, to feel completely isolated in the largest city in the world. And it's not just, you know, normally, you know, I've, I've battled depression for pretty much my entire life. Um, and one th and I, I've even said this on here before, one thing that is comforting during uh, really exhausting periods of depression is this awareness somewhere in my mind that the rest of the world is, is still moving forward and that whenever I, I sort of come to terms with whatever it is that I'm dealing with, that I will come back to a world that is still moving, that that momentum is still happening. And it's pretty horrifying that that, that is not the case right now. Uh, and, you know, where I live in New York City, in the last, you know, 20 years, I could think of a few really catastrophic tragedies that the city has, has incurred. 9-11, uh, Superstorm Sandy, and then, you know, to much lesser extent, stuff like the blackout in 2003. And, um, you know, in New York... And, and the world has taken notice of this. The world has always been very complimentary of, of the way New Yorkers have handled that, which is coming together, uh, putting down, putting aside, you know, this, this aggression that we tend to carry around and, and really showing up for each other, supporting local businesses, getting together in groups and going to bars. All of those things that we've historically relied upon to help us retain and, and reintroduce a sense of normalcy are not available to us because the thing that we have to do now to, to weather this storm is sit alone in our homes. And, uh, you know, I've been dealing with it in a few different ways. I've spent the first three weeks of this quarantine drinking way too heavily. I haven't had a drink in four days and I'm kind of hoping to keep that, you know, um, at bay. 
uh, one one thing that's been constructive is I've been talking to people, not as much as I should, but every time I get off the phone or FaceTime with someone, I, I tend to feel a little bit a little bit better. And I think right now, in spite of our, our isolation, um, well, because of our isolation, we, we desperately need to feel connected. I need to feel connected. I've seen a lot of musicians live streaming performances, you know, from their homes or wherever they're holed up. And, and I understand and I appreciate the sentiment, um, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't translate to me. It's, it's you know, music and, and music performance is about people. It's about performing for people. It's about moving air around. So to me, you know, in some instances, I think it makes sense. If you're performing songs to which people have a relationship, then I think that's, you know, beneficial. But for the kind of music that I do, I, I just, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like a, a very substantive gesture. On the other hand, um, podcasting has always been about communicating to other people remotely in a very intimate way. You plug your earbuds in, and it's literally just you and the podcaster. And podcasting is something that I've gotten pretty good at in the last decade. And I'm confident that this return, uh, for however long it lasts, the podcast will be appreciated. Just a quick, and you know, one thing I'll tell you is every Monday going forward, uh, it's going to be a little more raw than it was in the past. The recording quality is not going to be as good. Uh, I had a strict policy before of only doing in-person interviews. I really dislike the, the prospect of having to interview someone over the phone or Skype or FaceTime or whatever, but obviously that's the only way we can do it right now. So the audio quality is, you know, a little a little rough. It's it's not that bad. Um, but for the sake of, of doing something new and interesting uh, and having this, you know, sort of quell feelings of isolation i am asking that you guys the listeners send in your questions so the format of the show during this period of time is going to be me and whichever guest i have answering questions that we are sourcing from you guys the listeners i'm announcing in advance who's coming on please send questions that we can answer it's the only way it's going to work and i think it's going to be really fun and i think it'll be uh, I, th- I think it can be a good way of, of staying connected. So today on the show, Toby Driver, uh, I'm not going to go into the biographical stuff. You guys can figure that out on yourself. Uh, we got a bunch of questions. Um, it, we did this interview just two nights ago. Next week, Charlie Looker. The week after that, sound engineer Mark Urselli, and then more to come. If you guys have questions, general questions, specific questions to the guests, Send them in, 5049records at gmail.com. This is, I I actually get a little endorphin rush when I see the inbox light up and I see questions come in. So let's let's, let's try this thing out. That's it. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay, doing the best you can. This is me and Toby Driver this past Saturday night answering your questions. I'm here with Toby Driver. Toby is no stranger to the podcast. For those of you guys that have been listening for a while, you'll know that uh, he's been on at least three times. Um, as I said at the top of the show, we're doing things a little bit differently this time around. Uh, we sourced a bunch of questions, all directly from social media, all from you guys. Um, and like I said at the top in the introduction, the only way this is going to be like truly interactive and a way that, you know, together we can sort of quell some of the loneliness is if you guys send in questions and uh, hopefully cool questions. Hopefully this episode will sort of um, 
demonstrate, you know, what is possible. Uh, and, and by that, I just mean you don't have to just ask questions about music or about this the music of the specific guest. Hopefully, you know, things can be a little more broad or, or hyper, hyper, hyper uh, specific. Um, so we, we tried to record this thing last night. We got a bit of a false start. Uh, the questions, you know, as much as I appreciate you guys taking the time, were a little, uh, how can I, uh, they weren't boring. They just didn't leave a lot of room for conversation. So Toby rallied. He asked for more questions to come in, and immediately the inbox was was flooded pretty quickly with some good stuff. So, Toby, how you doing, man? I'm good. Yeah. I, I like to I like to say that I'm, I'm your uh, five hundred four nine guinea pig for whenever yep. you want to try a new idea out. <laughs> it's kind of and, and this is another example of that. Yeah, I didn't think about that <laughs> until today, and I remember the last time that uh, you were on for that live show. You you mentioned that, and I was like, ah, fuck, I don't want to like put toby in that corner necessarily i, I never i never thought no, about it like that it's it's cool it's cool that's who i am now but now you just have to you have to do it every time <laughs> well I, I i think so well it's also just because like i will you know i'm like all right who are the first people that are like i know are going to be cool are not going to judge me are going to you know like go be able to go along with something i have an idea about yeah yeah and if it and if it fails then you know and then then uh you know no judgment from me that's that's for sure yeah um uh, yeah. So in in terms of, you know, going to the internet, going to the listeners for questions, uh, I think we got some good stuff. Yeah. I think, as we said, we'll take turns going through the questions. Uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that for those of you that sent questions, for those of you that are that are listening right away, you already know Toby. You already know K.O. Dot. Uh, so I'm not going to, you know reintroduce that at this time. You know, if, you, if you're curious about Toby's music and you haven't checked it out, I recommend it. As highly as I can, go to ko.net. Um, there's a whole catalog uh, that's, you know, over 10 records at this point, uh, not to mention solo stuff that you guys can check out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of these questions are going to be, you know, directed more over to Toby, um, which is cool. Uh, and the first question comes from Eli. And the question is, if you have newfound free time now, have either of you set any personal goals for yourselves or the quarantine? Or would you rather take it a day at a time, so to speak? Uh, and then he asks two more questions. What's y'all's favorite thing to cook? Be that it might be fun to cook or because it's your favorite tasting thing. And do you think internet access in this day and age is a basic human right, more or less? Uh, so, Toby, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, when the, when this whole thing started, um, I was more of the take it a day at a time sort of frame of mind, um, mm. especially because I was in the middle of a tour that, that got canceled and, uh, and we had to just come directly home. So that was a huge bummer. And then, and then the tour that I had immediately after that got canceled. So it was, it was about, um, you know, it was about a month worth of shows that I lost. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was just really, really depressing. And, um, and I didn't really, um, I didn't really feel like doing anything because, um, because, you know, when you have a tour, I, I booked the tour myself for one. Mm -hmm. And so, um, th there's a lot of work that goes into that. So not only the, the work that goes into booking yourself, but also, um, the band preparation and the record that came before it and the fact that you're trying to support this record. And it's basically a year or more 
worth of work to go into that. And then when you lose all of that, all the hustle that you've been trying to do, um, it makes you feel like, uh, like working on anything isn't, isn't really worth it because, because you've just, you've just been faced with the fact that you put all this work into something and then it it had no result basically. Mm. So, so that's just generally how I was feeling. And, uh, I think that lasted about two weeks and then just a few days ago I started working on something and I decided that I could use this time to uh, record a new album. So that's what I'm going to do for the rest of this time. And I think, I think I, I have enough focus that I can probably get something finished within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, do you find that going in, like working on this recording every day, is it helping you to, to beat some of the gloom and doom? Yeah. And also I don't really have a deadline, which is, which is cool. And so, yeah. um, it's more along the lines, like if I, if I know that I'm working on it at least a little bit, then I feel like I've made some kind of small steps. And then if I feel like I need to take a break, mm-hmm. it's also not a big deal because there's not actually a deadline. And th- you know, this, this thing has an indefinite ending anyway. So, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't really seem to matter how long it takes, although it would be cool to possibly get it out before this thing is over yeah. so that people yeah. have something new to check out. Although, um, just from a career point of view, that's, that's also a big question because you don't really know if you put something out and then the thing, and then the, the quarantine goes on for another several months, then do you lose all that momentum of half the record that you put out? And, uh, and then when the quarantine is over, you're not really going to be able to kind of ride that wave of momentum and get shows and things like that because the record is too old at that point. I don't really know. I don't know. I, th- I think that, that we may, it, it might be a really good time to question that traditional thinking of a record and touring cycle um <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah. Cer- it's certainly a good time to experiment with it you know like uh i've got a record that it's so funny because it's the record that has like driven me the most crazy making it uh i worked on it for a really long time i worked really hard on it and on top of that i actually did all the artwork and layout myself um, so I was, Which one is that? It's called Sistemba Mundi. Oh, okay, Proces. that one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so I was like super excited to be making this into a physical document, uh, and you know, immediately, you know, one day into this quarantine, I was like, I cannot, for any good reason, you know, I self release my music for you guys that don't know. Um, I can't, for any good reason, justify printing something right now, given that mm-hmm. I, you know, my my income hundred percent has been completely decimated overnight. Um, so I'm going to put this thing out, you know, straight away on Bandcamp in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to stick to the date that I had in mind. Uh, I'd already been sending promo materials out, so I still would like it to line up in that way. Um, and I'm not as like heartbroken as I thought I would have been, um, having worked on something for so long, I, I would have thought that I'd be more heartbroken not having it, uh, uh, come together in a physical document. Hmm. Um, I, I'm less attached to that shit now. Yeah, it, almost in a way, uh, it's 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 relieving to um, to be reinforced by society that nothing is going to happen with these things anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Sadly, you know, yes. Like, because because what I mean what I mean is that you know you and I and and everybody else that's on our level 
that's a musician we put out records and we have these big visions for it and we, we're like oh this is going to be the one where i get all the, all the festivals or mm-hmm. you know where i break out or something something great is going to happen with this record and it never does mm-hmm. and uh and uh but in this case at least we don't have ourselves to blame <laughs> for, you know for, for nothing happening <laughs> we're gonna be like oh yeah it, nothing happened because of the because of the, the coronavirus, we literally <laughs> couldn't leave our houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the yeah, label going to say? You didn't push through. You didn't tour hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that might be that might be nice. It, it might be a nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just take take all that pressure off. That's all. Yeah, yeah. So well, the so the other thing that I was thinking is that um, the other perspective could be that you finish a record, and then since there's no deadline and since there's no gigs to chase up at the moment you could just wait and hold on to the record and uh and i don't know if this if this is the way that you work but for me i never i never really work that way uh anymore and i ha- i don't i don't know when i ever have worked that way but you you finish the thing and you want to get it out as soon as possible mm-hmm. and and also you finish something and then you're like okay this is done and i'm i'm done with this i'm going to move on to the next thing mm-hmm. let's get it out to just kind of you know to just set them set the marker and be like, I'm done. This is, this has to come out and I can't think about it anymore. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in this case, what if you finish something and then you say, well, I'm, I'm forced to not be able to put it out. So now, now I suddenly have, let's say six, eight months where I actually just have to sit on this record. And then maybe that's going to make me want to revise it or change my mind about how to approach it. And yeah, that could be nice too, to just, to just be forced to deal with that. I guess. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I think it'd be it, it would, could be a positive change for people to stop thinking about creative statements as finalized statements. And yeah. you know, when, I, I think every musician knows that when you listen back to your own records with a bit of distance, you know, your perception of them is going to be quite different than it was while you were making it. And oftentimes, you'll you'll hear something. You're like, God, I really wish I would have you know, listen to the, the engineer on that, or God, I really wish I would have stood my ground. I wish I would have played that differently, et cetera, et cetera. And in this instance, you actually have um, the ability to, to correct those things. Uh, but the other side of it, I think, is like, I'm, I think what's making me really anxious and antsy right now and actually making it, uh, circling back to the original question, making it difficult to set any goals is not knowing what the timeline is for this thing uh right. and it's it's really unsettling you know if you're if you're in a right. car and you're driving somewhere you can constantly look at your watch and say okay we're about you know 2 hours away or whatever it is yeah yeah that's that's the thing that's that's really confusing about um about how to approach my own pace with the record that I'm working on now mm-hmm. because I don't really know whether I should finish try to finish it quickly and try to get it out or not finish it quickly at all it's just too, it, 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 and not knowing not knowing how to pace myself is really strange. Well, I you know I you know it, 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 keeping the spirit of this being like an advice column, my yeah. response to you saying that would be to get it out as quickly as possible because I think right now it is just so important that um, that we're sending signals out to each other. You know that was the whole reason I started this podcast again and called you up. Um, yeah, and I've seen people doing it. People are like sending out transmissions and and certainly you know it will help us feel less alone so that that would be my i would argue for that yeah it's like the it makes you feel like the world is still the world still exists the world is still moving 
Yeah, I got so sad. I was so sad yesterday. Uh, like, you know, we're, sorry, we're sticking on this question for a while, but I think it also answers other questions that people send in. Um, the first, like, three weeks of this thing, uh, I, I mean, I drank really heavily every night. And, you know, I've been watching lots of movies and really, you know, staring at my phone, clicking refresh constantly. And it's just like, it's not healthy, but I, I really am dying for anything that takes my mind off of this um i haven't yet been able to play music i haven't taken the horn out of the case since this thing started but now my goal if to answer again the original question my goal right now is to break through that wall um where i can begin to engage with creativity again yeah yeah i think that'll help that'll help you feel better yeah um, so the second part of that question is what's your favorite thing to cook, uh, for fun or just because you like the way it tastes? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think the most fun thing to cook, um, which I haven't been able to do in a while, but, uh, for a time I had this little house in Brooklyn that I was renting and you, I don't know if you remember my, my little place, but it mm-hmm. was, it was basically like a one, it was basically like a one bedroom little house tiny yeah it's like you would never find anything like that available now Mm. but i had a a yard so i had a grill and and since i didn't really have i mean i did have a roommate but she was never around so it didn't really matter so it was basically like i was there alone and uh and just being able to kind of go out into the yard and um and uh you know start at like 5 a.m to to smoke a pork shoulder Mm -hmm. and then you just then you just sit out there for like the entire day and it's not even ready until probably like 8 p.m yeah you know so it's it's like 14, 15 hours. Um, and all you're doing is just kind of like sitting out in the yard on a lawn chair with some beers. And <laughs> I think that that's the most fun thing to cook. Yeah. And it tastes pretty <laughs> damn good when it's over. Yeah. 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 It's fun. I mean, because, you know, the something like that, um, you know, slow cooking like a pork shoulder, uh, um, you know, the whole thing is time. And the reason you don't typically embark on like a 12 hour cooking process is because of time. And, the, you know, mm-hmm. I think like a lot of people, uh, seemingly hundreds of millions of people. Uh, I've been doing a lot of baking so far during this quarantine, uh, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I've always been uh, a, a pretty estimable home cook. Uh, but baking has never really been something I've spent much time with. And what I really love about being able to do it every day right now is I can. I'm literally, and this is something I've never done with cooking, but I'm pen and paper taking notes on mm-hmm. little adjustments that I'm making. Um, and like the bread, my bread is getting serious. It's getting really, really serious. And that's the kind of thing that you can only do with time and repetition. Right. Which right. we have. Good point. Good you point. Know, tons of. Because um, yeah. I saw I saw that people were doing that a lot online with, with their sourdough yeah. stuff. And, you know, and uh, I guess that takes probably 14 hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Probably something like so. I so, mean, it's, so it's, the, it's, it's definitely something that goes from one day into another. Yeah. So the, the process is... Um, is really important. It's ceremonial in a way, but it's different from uh, it's different from the process of cooking where you're where you're busting your ass and you're busy every single second. Yeah, and uh, and it you're stressed out. I mean, I, I like cooking in that way too, but it's not really the same kind of energy. I mean, to all. me, fresh bread with butter or olive oil is probably the most comforting uh, food that I can think of. If I had, there's a very good chance um, there's a there's a bakery in Paris called. Uh, Maison Isabelle and their baguette, like I might pick as my last meal if I had to. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I gotta check that out. Oh, dude, it's so good. Um, <laughs> all right, the next part of Eli's question: Do you think 
that internet access, and this is actually a good question that I think could take up a whole podcast. Do you think internet access in this day and age is a basic human right, more or less? I think absolutely 1,000% it is a basic human right. Yeah, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, it is resounding yes. You cannot uh, be in the contemporary world and... You you can live without the internet, but it has become such an integral way of transmitting thoughts and ideas and and information that, yeah, it's it's insane. I always thought it was crazy that people would have to pay for cable television. Like when the idea is that you pay for it by watching it, the advertisers are paying the you know the the broadcasting companies. So why are you paying? Like you're you're paying by participating with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of double selling going on. Yeah. These days and forever, yeah. yeah. But the answer is yes. We can move on. I mean, yeah, that, that's all it is. Yeah, the answer is yes. All right. So you take that. You you read the next question. All right. Are we doing the very next one down? Yeah. Let's just go. You know. Okay. So uh, this one is from Lucas, and um, here we go. What single artist or record labels catalog should I deep dive into while sheltering on place or on plus? Currently getting a lot of joy from Catatonia front to back so yeah what do you think uh well i've never really checked out catatonia um but i I will take that as a recommendation and i'll 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 check them out um i haven't been listening to much music at all during this time Uh, i just haven't that urge hasn't been there uh the weirdly though the every time i've listened to music since this thing started um it's been ornette coleman Oh yeah, and it's just something like I go to open up my music and I just I just want to listen to Ornette and uh, I, I talked about it on Charlie's podcast the other day about Ornette's music. But what I would say in response to your question is, um, he Ornette Coleman I think was one of very few artists whose entire output from beginning to end uh, was pretty flawless. There's many phases, you know. There's the original quartet with Don Cherry and you know Charlie Hayden. Um, and then you get into the trio stuff with, you know, Dave Isaacson, Charles Moffat, and you get into primetime and all of it is deeply, deeply satisfying. And, you know, if you're really going deep, uh, and, you know, if you listen like I do, which is you will supplement the listening with, you know, reading interviews and watching videos. And it's just, it's a really satisfying catalog to, to immerse yourself in. And I think for me personally, um, you know, the music that's really cracked through my heart and changed my life, like it's, it's way up there. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I've listened to a bunch of Ornette, but never, never sequentially for one, and also uh, not, not all of it, mm-hmm. not exhaustively. But that's cool. I'm gonna check that out too. And uh, also, you know, I'm not really a guy with with very much jazz listening under my belt. So, well, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, so I, I think, I think having a, having a, a place to focus on is a good idea for that. And I would say from my world, um, I'm going to recommend to you and your, uh, your listeners, um, check out, um, the catalog of this one man artist, uh, one man band from this, I think Chicago area called, uh, Jute Gite, which is spelled J U T E G Y T E. And it, the, the composer's name is Adam Kalmbach. Hmm. And, um, on his band camp, he's got something like 25, records or something like that and it's and it's uh it's basically like uh metal noise kind of electronic but it's uh it's super super deep nerd composer stuff and uh quite a lot of it yeah um i i would recommend it how long how long has he been putting stuff out uh well if you i think if you go on his band camp i think the earliest one goes back to like 2007 or something like that Mm -hmm. um 
Although it's possible that the ones that are from 07 are more like, you know, maybe he's like in college at the time, like right. a composition student. And so, um, you know, you could always start with somebody's catalog <laughs> when mm -hmm. they're a student, but, uh, but it's, you know, I, maybe it's better to start from the recent stuff and go backwards mm -hmm. instead of starting from the oldest and going forwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, I, I, I think with anybody, you know, yeah. do that. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, like artists, artists that weren't a deep dive into their catalog are ones that, uh, that change a lot or have a lot of ideas. You know, I mean, you could have a, you can have an artist with a ton of records, but the ideas never develop and there's no point in right. kind of, kind well, of you like know, the other thing I would say, uh, in response to this specific question is I would say maybe pick an artist who had who's had or had a long career, a long trajectory with a lot of output, who, you know, wasn't all that hip towards the end, you know, and then listen to it from the perspective of how is this artist navigating um, decay? Uh, you know, you will, if you're an instrumentalist specifically, you know, this is definitely less about composers, more about instrumentalists, you will have to come to terms with the fact that you can't play the way that you once did. Yeah. So for that, I would say artists like um, Johnny Cash, Chet Baker, uh, Miles Davis. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, I, it, I, I just got to I'm remembering when I was in college uh, studying music in college, uh, the uh, the teachers um, always used Miles Davis later stuff. Mm hmm as a joke i mean they they yeah. trashed it yeah it's that, universally my, shit upon yeah this was my college professors they trashed all it, and they would show us videos of miles you know playing with his fusion bands mm -hmm. and being like man look what a look how much he deteriorated this is so pathetic because his his outfits at the time you know his mullet and everything and uh and man but that stuff is is really incredible it's, I, mean, it, I mean i like that stuff so much more than, really? than his like yeah, the, the time after time stuff <laughs> no, and that was that was actually the video that they showed yeah. us. And like, check out this time after time. But that's not what I mean. I mean, I mean, like the fusion. Oh, you're you know, about the seventy I mean, stuff, like electric miles. Totally. Oh, yeah. well, that shit is fire. Like by all. I know. Of, but miles, you know, it's, he's one of those guys who, in the '80s, you know, he he disappeared for a while, and he came back, and he was playing with a bunch of, you know younger cats and and doing time after time and you know it's pretty universally accepted that he reinvented music like four or five times and on that last time it was like all right you don't you know always hit a well, home why run do you, why do you have to why do you have to reinvent music well, that's what i'm time? saying it's like who you know like people you know people shit on dave mustaine all the time and it's like you know think about this for a second he played guitar for the biggest metal band of all time. And when he got fired, he went and started the second biggest metal band of all time. It's like, <laughs> is this someone you should be shitting on? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, also, also I'm, I'm finding that, uh, with a lot of, um, a lot of hindsight, people are respecting Megadeth a lot more these days than, yeah. than they did, uh, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think all of my, metal listening friends think or agree that Megadeth is pretty sick. And even, uh, even like, you know, their later into the nineties stuff, um, is still cool too. Yeah. Uh, which is the part when they kind of started to lose their cred, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, um, but that stuff's great. Yeah. Uh, and then the second part of Lucas's question, what is your desert Island wine varietal? Okay. Well, I mean, I, I like to drink, uh, you know, reds, the most these days, but if I'm on a desert island, I probably want 
<laughs> I probably want a rosé, but I don't know. I wouldn't want to be stuck with one the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like kind of goes to back to the 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 uh, question about somebody's discography that we were just talking about. It's like, why would you want to just have the same thing over and over and over again? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I right. wouldn't. I might. I might just take nothing so that when I finally get off the desert island, I really enjoy the first thing that I have. Right. The desert island of quarantine. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm I'm gonna have you know pretty different answer. Uh, in the last couple, you know, you're asking about wine specifically uh, because of work that I do. I've become pretty deeply ensconced in the world of natural wine, which is you know having a moment. People are you know some people are like, oh, it's trendy, it's whatever. You know, natural wine and um, minimal intervention wines are the oldest way of making wine. Uh, and that, if you really sort of trace it back, you're going to find yourself in this like part of Europe, you know, in like, uh, going from like Northern Italy up into Slovenia, uh, you'll find yourself in places like Georgia, um, where these, these methods of wine production are really like just ancient production. Uh, and the world of wine where I have found myself most like completely knocked out by what's capable, uh, in wine production is right there in Slovenia and like, uh, Friuli, like Northern Italy where, you know, it's not even really like Italy anymore. It's definitely more like, you know, you know, central Eastern Europe. Um, and as far as varietals, I would say Malvasia or, or Vitovska, I would probably say Vitovska. These grapes are workhorse grapes that take a lot of love to to turn into something that expresses beautifully uh but when you age it in old slovenian wood these like gigantic uh they're called boti these gigantic uh slovenian oak barrels that are hundreds of years old and you sort of get the oxidation happening with that wood and those grapes and having like grown the the grapes you know with respect for the land you end up with something completely unlike anything I've ever tasted that I'm completely enamored by. Uh, there's a producer in Friuli called Scurly that I would, his shit's hard to find, but if you can find Scurly, it is like absolute revelation. Yeah, I definitely don't know enough about it to be able to answer in that way. Wine is good. Everything, I, I prefer everything white that wines. you've everything that you've recommended to me has been awesome. Yeah, I prefer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a white wine guy. Um, I, oh, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of room for expression uh with with whites um right on yes all right next question comes from richard uh it was kind of a long one let me read it quickly i was wondering what you both think the impact of the current pandemic situation could be for musicians the situation has especially revealed the precarity of certain professions do you think this was will result in social reckoning with how our society treats these professions gigging musicians included also, what do you think people can do to support musicians in this time? Are there any social changes you specifically believe in for supporting those in gig economies? All right. So um, before I answer this question, uh, I just want to tell a story. So this guy, Richard, that sent in this question, uh, he, um, we, Jeremiah and I met this guy in Leeds. Uh, Richard came to see Tartarlam 2 in Leeds when we played there. And uh, this was like 2011. Mm-hmm. And the Leeds show, so we were in the UK in the, in the middle of winter, and the Leeds show was one of the worst shows on the whole tour. There was, uh, there was nobody there except for Richard and the two or three friends that he had brought with him uh-huh. from Newcastle. 
um, and nobody else. And the sound guy was fighting with us and um, the promoter wasn't there. And when we were trying to find out where the promoter was, the promoter had actually moved out of the UK and fucked off to Finland to go be with some girl. <laughs> and uh, so he was just gone. And then, uh, and so, the, and there was nobody to do the door. So I had to do the door <laughs> because the promoter had fucked off to Finland. And, uh, and then after the show, um, we were like, well, where are we going to stay? The promoter was supposed to give us somewhere to stay. And the bartender was like, oh man, uh, well, yeah, he fucked off to Finland. But if you, if you guys can wait until the bar closes, uh, maybe one of us, you know, one of the people working there or one of the really drunk people hanging out there all night can let us crash. And, uh, and so the bartender convinced one of the customers who was staying there for the, you know, until closing to let us crash. And so we went to this guy's house and, uh, and he had a three floor house okay. by himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> he, had a, he had a three floor house by himself and he, um, uh, and he, I guess he was sleeping on the downstairs floor where his PlayStation was because he wanted to play PlayStation all night. Uh, and that was the only place that had heating. And then the two upper floors had no heating. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, Jeremiah and and me and uh, and Ron, my uh, guitarist and KO dot Ron Verode. It was Ron, right? Yeah, they it was Ron. Upstairs with and the reason, so, uh, reason being the three of us were sick. So we said, we'll put the sick people... We're all yeah. six. So we went all the way up to the top floor and we had to share a bed, the three of us, just as close together as possible with the, the paper, toilet paper thin blanket. There was no blanket. Just, there was there was nothing? Yeah, I, I, no blanket? I had my winter. We all put our coats on top oh, of it. It was us. our coats. Yeah. <laughs> and it was no heat. It, it must have been. It must have been like it was February. Below freezing. Yeah. Below freezing. February sure. in the UK. Uh, it was wet. It was damp. It was really cold. It was wet. Oh my god! And uh, and that's that's where this question comes from. <laughs> Wait, I, you know, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, it, that whole week in the UK, I was I just remember I was really unhappy the whole time. So it's all kind of a blur. And I was like, as you were talking about the lead show, I was like, I don't think I exactly remember. <laughs> but then when you said the three, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that fucking that <laughs> night. Like every night in the UK was like that. It was like some version of that. Yeah, this one was was really bad though, really really bad. Yeah. Um. So Richard, we met at that show. What's up, Richard? <laughs> so thank you for this question. Um. And so I have a bit of a pessimistic answer for this. Uh. I I really. Uh, so so the question, just to reiterate, is that Richard asks if if we think that this will result in a social reckoning with how our society treats these professions, gigging musicians included. So I, I want to point out that the idea of our society is not is not uniform um so so when you say our society think about germany who like i would say germany is part of our western world society except you know they've uh they've granted something like 50 billion dollars to their artists or something like that right now right is it something like that it's not 50 billion but it's it's a lot i think it's like <laughs> it's 500 million yeah something ridiculous yeah. but but just to give to give grants to artists uh anybody who's an artist and i think it, it amounts to something like five thousand euros per person or something like that hmm. um and uh and you know nick my friend nick uh in the uk he uh he got an emergency grant from from the uh, UK Arts Council or something like that, and um, and anyway, we don't we don't have really much of that at all. And I went to the um, uh, so ASCAP, who's uh, American Society of Composers and Publishers, they're performing 
rights collections organization that I'm a member of, they, they put together a resource on their website of some links that you can follow to, um, to get some support. But the problem is that, um, the primary resources that they recommended were, oh, just file for unemployment from your state. Unemployment, you know, not like a special artist thing, just mm -hmm. just unemployment. And, you know, that, of course, ties into whether you actually, you know, uh, file as a business, file taxes. Um, and, you know, you have to have this kind of a certain level of kind of commerce to what you do. You can't just be an artist. You have to you have to have a level of commerce to it in order uh -huh. to get unemployment. Secondly, um, they, uh, you know, it was like, oh, the, the United States government just signed a two trillion dollar uh, relief bill. Uh, well, okay. In order to get that as an artist, you still have to apply for a small business emergency grant. Really? Again, ag yeah. Again, again, it ties into like the the, the thing that like you, what you do has to be has to have a commercial or, or marketplace element to it. It doesn't really apply to artists. And second of all, or sorry, thirdly, um, then all the other ones that were like kind of emergency grants, they were mostly like state oriented. So it was like, oh, you can get this one if you. Um, if you live in, you know, Minnesota or something like mm -hmm. that, but, but if you, if you don't live in that state, then you're shit out of luck. So mm -hmm. we don't, we don't really seem to have, um, that kind of support from quote unquote, our society. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and in any case, um, what I think will ultimately happen is that, um, you know, so, so the, the second part of the question was from, um, was from Alex driver, my brother. Uh, sending this question, how do you think that musical culture is going to be different a year from now? Like, how will going to a show, touring, releasing music on the internet be different? Will it be totally back to normal, or will this period of insularity have a lasting effect? And so, uh, what I think is actually going to happen, at least um, in the music industry that I'm a part of, which is the kind of touring and album releasing and trying to get on festivals and all that crap, is that everybody's dying for familiarity. And everybody's dying to get back to normal and everybody can't wait until we get quote unquote back to normal. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen is that nobody's going to look for anything new when we, when you get the chance to kind of do things again. No, everyone's just going to look for what they know is going to be safe and what works and, um, and just what's going to be like the immediate, immediately like most quick, most quick solution to get them back to normal, back mm -hmm. to what they're used to. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe this thing will go on long enough that people will forget <laughs> what that was like. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, like I, I, I really am into dystopian fiction that um, that takes place in the future, but it's it's a more primitive world where. Um, where you know we've lost all our knowledge and lo we've lost all our technology and so you know so the the environment of the story is like it's like primitive life although it's it's hundreds and hundreds of years in the future you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying because mm -hmm. because we lost all the knowledge mm -hmm. so you know that would be really cool not i mean it wouldn't be cool <laughs> it wouldn't be cool in this case but i i think the thing that richard is asking and that Alex is suggesting is that in order for something like that to happen, we're going to need to have some kind of like grand forgetting about the way that things were mm -hmm. that people aren't going to be dying to get back to. Yeah. I mean, hopefully this whole thing highlights uh, just how like abjectly, I mean, I'm talking specifically about the United States. Um, I'm not talking about Europe or, or the UK or Asian countries. Um, 
yeah, you know, we it's still the Wild West here. It's still every man for himself. Uh, you know, they call it rugged individualism, and it's, you know, it's a crock of shit. Uh, it is, you know, a centuries-old concerted effort to keep people separate um, and to dismiss and actively destroy any sense of collectivity. Um, I'm, you know, in the last, it's funny, in the last couple of years, like, my brain has been just completely infected by Marxism, uh, and these last three weeks has, like, slammed the pedal on that. Um, so, yeah, similar to Toby, I, I feel skeptical about, you know, this grand reckoning where we, you know, collectively come together. I, obviously, that's my hope, obviously, that I, I want that to see something like that happen. Um, but I think at the very least, it's becoming very clear that we do live in, a, again, I'm talking about the United States, we do live in a society where, uh, a very large aspects of that society, or, or sorry, groups of people within that society are are marginalized as if that's an okay thing. Um, we sort of accept, you know, like if someone doesn't have access to healthcare, it's like, well, go get another job that that will give you that healthcare. And it's like that's not an okay answer. You know, people's lives are very complicated and different and require nuance um so so those responses are are you know part of uh a history of of keeping a boot on the throat of the working people all right all right i don't know if that answered the question but that's kind of where my brain's at with that. <laughs> um, okay uh next one down yeah you um okay well then the next one was kind of related to that uh let's let's skip um okay so how about okay from ryan okay so um do you want to do or you want to do the ones that i just highlighted in blue or do you want to do all of them we're running out of time so we got got all the time in the world so but yeah you you pick the next just pick the next question okay um here's one from uh brad um brad says well he has he has this long uh long long email but the the gist of the question is I'm curious what you and Toby would have to say about the whole art versus entertainment thing. Um, so he says, if I remember correctly, Toby was starting to explore a lot of pop influences around the time of coffins on IO. And it feels like KO dot switched gears to some degree around then the songs felt less abstract, groovier, more audience friendly. And I wonder what Toby has to say about that era. And if it relates to all the questions I've been asking myself. And so uh, earlier in his email, Brad asks, um, uh, let's see. He says, he says, uh, well, music falls into one of two categories, either art or entertainment. And is there a difference? And does art make you think, aim to think deeply and confront things as they really are? Uh, and entertainment is a distraction or what? And he just doesn't really know what to think about that. And using Nick Cave and Ariana Grande as kind of polar opposites. So anyway, what do you think, Jeremiah? Um, I think that I listen to music for a variety of reasons, uh, and quite frequently those reasons are dictated by what my mood is asking for. Um, so I try not to, you know, I, I don't, like I, I can discuss differences in the music, but I don't really like to think about them as hierarchical differences necessarily. Um, and I do listen to a lot of music for comfort exclusively. You know, having said that, uh, the majority of contemporary popular music is very discomforting for me. So I don't, I don't even, you know, 
I, I don't even pay attention to what it is. I don't even know what, you know, if I hear these songs, I don't know who they are. I know that they make me feel very unhappy, so I just completely avoid them. Um, but, you know, I find, like, um, I find a lot of comfort in the music of the Beach Boys. And there's, like, a perfect example of music that you can't, like, objectively on every level... You cannot fucking argue with that music. It's creative. It's smart. It's well executed. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe the, the you know sonically it doesn't appeal to you. But you know, I, I, uh, what's what's the question? The question. Art yeah, versus entertainment. Art versus entertainment. I don't think they need to be separate. I don't think they need to be separate mm-hmm. at all. I mean, did you see There Will Be Blood? That was a huge movie, uh, and it's fucking spectacular. Yeah, I I would also say that I don't think that they're separate at all. And, uh, and I think that, I think that, um, you know, people who want to make them separate, let's say like the, you know, the gatekeepers of the art world, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the quote unquote art world. Well, hopefully the art world will fucking die during those this whole people thing. suck. Yeah. Those yeah. people absolutely suck. And, and it, for somebody to say that, that they have the keys to what counts as art and, you know, and what doesn't count mm-hmm. as art. I mean, fuck that. That is that is absolutely bullshit, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that if you if you asked anybody that worked on like a Rihanna record or something like that, if if they themselves are an artist, of course they would say that they're an artist. Give me a fucking break. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I think. Uh, and going back to what I said a second ago is that if 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 uh, more people start to kind of understand that art art and entertainment aren't separate, really, and um, and that nobody should be allowed to tell you what what qualifies and and what doesn't and you know what what deserves the grant and what doesn't deserve the grant and that kind of thing and you remember when uh, when Kendrick Lamar won the the Pulitzer yeah people were really upset about people that people were so mad yeah. and uh and the thing is like i i was um i was a little frustrated by that because Kendrick Lamar doesn't need a grant he's obviously rich already and i i don't think that people who who have plenty of resources should get grants because well, I mean, the, the Pulitzer is an award. You only get ten. It's grand. an award. Yeah, you get 10, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, he doesn't need ten thousand dollars. But yeah, the, yeah. the symbolism in giving it to him wasn't about the money. It was totally. Yeah, totally. But but yeah, what I'm saying, generally speaking, is that like people that don't need it shouldn't get it. Right. Uh, in any case, though. Um, but it was funny that people got mad about that because they're like, "What? This is this isn't art or whatever right. the fuck they said." You know. Right. Uh, it's good to piss those people off, and it's good to it's good to take their little kingdom away from them, Mm -hmm. I think. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Uh, I would maybe answer this question from one other perspective, which is I think uh, accessibility might be a question. Um, I I I know for me personally, the music that I tend to put out, I'm perfectly comfortable. I don't think it has any business belonging in in those those worlds where that that stuff happens it's just like i'm i'm, I'm realistic about that uh so mm-hmm. it, from that perspective it just makes me even more sort of accepting of of music that could come from anywhere and it still have the ability to just be absolutely awesome yeah yeah but the other the other thing too is that saying okay if you just if you just go to the idea they're like oh ariana grande doesn't belong in the kind of museum world or something like that if that's just kind of like the basic thing that we're saying Mm -hmm. you know because because of the accessibility you you just got to remember that the only reason that people like pop music and and is because they're 
Sorry, what is that? Sorry, I turned my fan on for a second. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the only reason that people uh, that people like that on a widespread level like that is because of all the money that's behind it and all the promotion that's behind it, and uh, and all the all the multimedia that goes along with telling people that this is normal, this is mainstream, this is this is kind of you know what what everybody likes. And then everything else is kind of a deviation from that. That's just that's just constructed, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. if if there was a world where um, where all the kind of major label money and all the media and all the advertisement was behind noise artists, then that would be the most popular music. I I'm a hundred percent sure of hmm. it. I don't, you know, because because music is just it's just sound and familiarity and things that are put together in structure that people people like because because it reminds them of stuff that they already like. Mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> also, know? I mean, I think the idea of the mainstream, whether you're talking about news or, or culture, is I, I don't think it's, I, I've, I've been calling it legacy, legacy media, uh, legacy right. culture, because that's what it is. It, it, the Where the spheres of influence are much broader and out of the control of legacy uh, gatekeepers, they still have resources, but, you know, a few months ago when all these fucking idiots were uh, up in arms about the fact that Joe Rogan said something nice about Bernie Sanders, it's like, well, number one, he he has, you know, six, seven million listeners a day or whatever, you know, which is far more than than any like Antifa, you know, like I'm not, maybe I'll cut this, but like super woke, like super preachy SJW, like with a five second statement Joe Rogan was able to do more for for you know true progressives like Bernie Sanders and those guys can do in their entire lifetime and then from the other side Joe Rogan a, a stand up comedian now has this platform where he can reach millions of people every single day and the only person that dictates whether or not he does it and what he does with it is him and that's mm-hmm. completely unheard of, and it really highlights, like, yes, Ra- someone like Rachel Maddow, like uh, MSNBC or, like, Fox News, they have the means to be broadcast into your home instantly, but it doesn't mean anyone's paying any attention, mm-hmm. which is cool. That's positive, what I just said. Yeah. All right. Next question, um, which seems to tie in somewhat to that last one, is from Jeffrey, uh, and the question is... One of his questions. Do you ever get frustrated about artists who make art that's not as good as yours, yet are more successful than you? Uh, or maybe even get frustrated while listeners for, with listeners for not getting some of your art? How do you deal with this frustration? Uh, as far as others being not as good as mine, I, I don't think about it like that. Um, if if I'm thinking in metrics like that, I I tend to think more about authenticity or or craft. The word good is a little it's a little a uh, little broad, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, of course, I could think you know it it doesn't uh, obsess me, but like yeah, I can absolutely think of of people getting opportunities uh, that were not merit based. I'll say that, you know, and, and, you know, kind of like what we were just talking about a lot of, you know, a lot of the reasons that things happen and, and end up in a position where they're accessible and available to many people. Generally, it's not about the content. It's about the, the machinations behind it. Uh, the second question was, do I get frustrated with listeners, uh, for not getting, no, the only time I get frustrated is in live performances. If there's an absence of, uh, just, you know, common courtesy, you know, I, and even then, like I try not to let it get to me. I played, I played a show in Texas 
um, like two or three years ago, and it was, you know, these people would not shut the fuck up while I was playing, and I lost my temper, and I cursed them out from the stage, and I beat myself up for days afterwards. I was completely embarrassed of the way that I acted, but yeah, the only time I get frustrated with listeners is uh, if it's like a direct confrontation like that. Yeah, there's a there's a second part of this question from a from another guy from this this fellow named Noved King, um, and he asks, um, uh, let's see, in times like this where everyone is self quarantining, it seems like a perfect time for creative types to thrive while working at home on projects. The problem I always run into is either not having enough confidence in myself to make things, or being too analytical by questioning myself and procrastinating to the point that I get nothing done. My question is, how do you keep yourself creatively disciplined and productive? Uh, and has quarantine affected your process at all? So um, I just I ended up focusing on this part of his question where he says he he doesn't have enough confidence in himself to make things, mm-hmm. uh, so so it prevents him from doing stuff. And I think that goes along with Jeffrey's question too, where Jeffrey says, uh, "Do you get frustrated with listeners uh, for not getting your music?" and uh, and what do you what do you think about artists who, who make art that's not as good as yours, but they're more successful? Uh, the the main kind of idea here is that um, that it, you have to you have to start from a place of um, understanding that you are creating your own universe, and uh, and that yeah you know it's nice when what we're doing is uh, it also it can kind of exist in the Venn diagram of like crossing over somebody else's universe, but but generally speaking, you have your own circle and that Venn diagram and, and you, and everything that you do is within your own, your own sphere, your own circle, your own, your own identity. And, uh, and there, nobody can tell you that that's wrong or not. And nobody can tell you that what you're doing is right. Nobody can tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Of course they can say whether they like it or not, but it, it shouldn't really have any impact on, uh, on whether you feel that it expresses yourself or not. And so, um, you know, I, 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 a lot of the time I listen to some music that I wish that I could do. Um, but it's just, it's music that's just so unlike anything that I would do, any decisions that I would make. And I listen to it and I'm like, man, I love that. It's so good. And, uh, and I feel bad about myself for not being able to make something that's like that. Hmm. And then I, and then I reflect on my own music and I'm like, man, why, why is my own music always this way? Hmm when when what i enjoy <laughs> is mm-hmm. so much this other way you know mm-hmm. and not to say i don't enjoy my own work too but um but it doesn't really matter how much i desire to to sound like um you know let's say mick Barr, for example mm-hmm. who's awesome I, I haven't ever tried to sound like mick but what if i what if i did you know <laughs> yeah you <laughs> then i i think i think that like i think they would still end up sounding like me trying to sound like mick uh, just because what he does is so singular, and it's so much his world, and and although I love it, it's not really not really my thing at all. Um, and you can start from a place like that with your creation is is you can you can listen to these other things and accept them for what they are, and you can feel a little bit of of jealousy that mm-hmm. you that you can't have that, but then you feel comfort in your own self that you have a thing that you do mm-hmm. that nobody else can really do the way that you do either. Yeah. Uh, and. And once you have that kind of security, then, um, then you then you can have the confidence to actually create within your world. You're like, this is mine. This is my shit. This is my thing. Nobody can do it better than me, because it's mine. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Yeah, and I would I would just sort of add to that, like something I've been, I think I've always done uh, sort of like intuitively, but um, as part of like a, a practice routine is just sort of looking at what it is that I like about a piece of music uh, or uh, uh, the way another instrumentalist approaches their instrument. Um, and like actually writing it down, like, you know, and it's, and it's generally not a matter of like the mechanics of it. It's not a matter of like harmonic or melodic information. It'll be feelings that it evokes and, you know, like, okay, well, how do I get at that in my own music? Um, again, like, you know, I was talking about Ornette, you know, I realized listening to Ornette, he has this way of like always like taking the music to this place where like he's evoking like exuberant joy and also like deeply instrumental introspective sort of like feelings of pain and they're like those two things sit side by side so like fuck yeah i want to i want to do that and like mm -hmm. i feel fine taking that i feel fine trying that on and like having that somehow work that in a little bit yeah uh yeah and, and I, I think uh you know back to jeffrey's question at the beginning is being frustrated with um artists who make art but get more success it, <laughs> i mean uh, um yeah, you know, like the, we, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. How do how do you reconcile that life isn't fair? Uh, well, uh, no, but but seriously, like if if it's true that life isn't fair, and it is true that life isn't fair, what can you do about that? Do you just roll over and die, or do you try to make it more fair? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you know, uh, if you want to if you want to talk politics to just in general. Uh, what progressives try to do is we try to make the world more fair, even though the world isn't fair. <laughs> you know, we we all understand that uh, like we're probably going to lose, and that uh, that it's going to be very difficult, and that the gains that we make might just be the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest gains. But everything that you can do to make the world a more fair place is worth doing. And you know, with with your art too, is that you know. Yeah, there's no meritocracy. People get success when they don't deserve success, and people that deserve success don't get it. What can you do about that? Well, you can do everything you can to try to make that more fair. And you know, Jeremiah, you're a good example. You have, I mean, you haven't released, you haven't released other artists on your label, but you have a label, mm -hmm. but you have a podcast, and you and you and you have other artists come on your podcast mm -hmm. that you that you appreciate, and you want to give them a voice in some way. And everybody can do things like that to just make the world a little bit more fair and it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to you have to have like all the solutions you just do a little bit and then hopefully mm -hmm. somebody else will do a little bit too yeah a, co a collectivist mentality absolutely um yeah and that it's you know i i i dude i was listening to an interview maybe i'll cut this but i was listening to an interview just this afternoon while i was cooking with steve bannon <laughs> and you know say what you will about the guy you know he was in Trump's circle for political strategy, and he is a master of that. And, you know, his take on Bernie, you know, across the board, he's like, has nothing but respect and admiration for Bernie Sanders. But he ultimately, you know, his his take on Bernie, and it's the thing that we love about Bernie is that he doesn't fight the fight in the way the fight needs to be fought, which is dirty, which is, if you you know, were to go into the battle the way that you need to go into battle, like you would have to sacrifice some of your integrity. So that's why you look at someone like Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, these people who are like just absolute monsters. It's like that's how they're able to exist, thrive and succeed within that arena is because they are yeah. playing 
with you know a very flexible uh, sense of morality and just complete absence of dignity or integrity, and that's you know frequently, sadly, yeah, yeah. who who rises to the top because it's about yeah winning. yeah we we've seen that that happens in in business but also in the music industry too. I mean, um, not that not that any names need to be named, but there there are definitely plenty of musicians that we both know that have just kind of. Uh, climb the ladder in a gross way you know <laughs> yeah um it works i guess yeah so now mm. we're hearing from our good friend uh from the uk nick hudson and his question is we're in quarantine now and it's inevitably inevitably provoking tons of reflection on connectivity times passage movement etc would you ever consider a period of voluntary self-isolation in a quasi-monastic sense, but one so ascetic as to forgo access to digital connectivity throughout? How might your creative focus be impacted by this? To what extent have current circumstances shaped your answer? All right. Well, um, I think the answer is yes. Uh, self-isolation, yeah. But I'm not so sure that uh, that it would be related to my artistic practice. Um, like it, it would be, it would be really nice to kind of, uh, go self-isolate into the wilderness and, um, and use that time to kind of, um, you know, reset my identity in a way and, uh, and not think of myself as an artist and not, and not, th not feel that I'm required to be an artist, I guess. And, um, especially because, uh, uh, from, from my own work, I think that my work res like, uh, it, it requires, um, some kind of like resonant resonance with, um, with, uh, the world and with an audience in a way, um, kind of, uh, kind of the way that the way that the world is and the way that I feel from interacting with people, um, has a lot to do with my work. And, um, and I think that my work, you know, even though my work has this kind of like technical element to it, um, it has this kind of like a little bit of like an academic kind of like technical element to it, like music school element. It's educated, but um, but I would still say that that my music is ninety nine percent emotion, mm -hmm. and you know only one percent of um, of logic or mental work. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like what's cool about your music and a lot of the music um, of people that we enjoy and respect and appreciate is yes, it is emotional, but that there is you you've used the logic and the education and the and the and those functions to better articulate those emotions. Sure, sure, but but I but I think from my own perspective that I, that when I when I think about the intent of it. Uh -huh. um, the, sure. the, the emotional the emotional intent is is a, a lot greater than the kind of cerebral intent mm -hmm. um, and uh, and yeah and, and back to the next question is that that has to do with um, with the kind of the feelings that I that I gain from from interacting with people and relationships that I have and and the feelings that I get from kind of existing in this world and the despair that I get from mm -hmm existing in this world. And, and if I, uh, and if I was just completely isolated and had, had no, uh, nothing to kind of reflect off of, then, um, 
then I don't really know if, if my art would have very much purpose at all other than, um, other than exploring my own self. But then in that case, I don't, I don't really think that I would need to explore myself, um, artistically. Hmm. I'm just guessing. I think I would enjoy not having to be an artist. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. What about you? Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, I've always been a loner, you know, like generally speaking, if I'm alone, it doesn't occur to me even to call other people. Uh, obviously, I benefit from friendship. Uh, and I'm definitely one of these like jackasses, you know, who just before the quarantine was like, oh, man, quarantine will be awesome. I'll just like make music all day and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, obviously that hasn't been the case because I think to successfully have uh you know, this quasi monistic, you know, aesthetic thing that you were talking about, Nick, is you need to have some built in understanding that the world around you is still functioning, uh, and is safe and that the people that are out there while you're inside are, you know, not suffering. And so, you know, in this particular instance, it's like, yeah, I, I, I would absolutely relish this solitude if it was, not inflicted on all of us at the exact same time with such uncertainty. Um, I think it's like impossible to thrive in this. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I would absolutely relish the opportunity, um, uh, to, to have these like deep dives into solitude. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. All right. Next. Uh, I liked this question from, from Nate. Um, yeah, you... from Nate. Okay, so uh, it's a long question, but the gist of it is: um, How do you approach composing music that interests you, while lacking firsthand knowledge of the genre? And uh, and Nate was relating his question to the fact that that I've been making some IDM uh, recently. Um, IDM is just kind of like intelligent dance music, right? Is that what it's it stands for? Like, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, since I'm kind of new to this world, I've also learned that the, the real IDM artists don't say IDM anymore because it's sure. so obnoxious. They, they have another term for it. But it's basically like complex electronic music that's kind of beat-oriented, not ambient, you know, not classical. It's just kind of like crazy beats and crazy production and stuff like that. And I just got into it, like, not too long ago. And, uh, and, uh, and so Nate was saying... Um, you know, it's like a whole different world for me where, where my creativity isn't challenged, but my possible lack of knowledge as to how to create IDM may have since it's nearly strictly. So, so he's, that's wrong. <laughs> my creativity surely is challenged for one, but yeah, he's right that, um, that I had to figure out how to do it because, um, because I had to, I basically had to discover like what like what software do i use like what you know how do i make these sounds and things like that and it was all new and so his question being how do you approach composing music that interests you while lacking knowledge of the genre um i think that um first of all you don't really have to make the genre you know like i think i think if you're trying to make something that sounds exactly like a genre then already it's going to be not that cool so you should you should make something that um that kind of reminds you of those things that you like from that genre, but still kind of do it in your own way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then how do you compose it? Well, I think that you just gotta, you just gotta try stuff out and put some stuff down and then see if that inspires you to 
come up with the next step from that you know like let's say let's say the very first thing you do if you're making some electronic music and you've never done it before is that you just turn on your computer and you have like let's say garage band is the only thing you have and you just use the built-in synth there and you make a couple sounds and then there you go you have some sounds and then maybe you loop that okay well there you go then you already have a whole basis of something and then what's the next step you take from that and what's the next step you take from that and and you know composition is really all about decision making and so um you know when you get to these forks in the road with your composition uh the future of that composition really just depends on what fork in the road you decide to take and you know you have infinite possibilities and that's why electronic music in particular is so cool is because you can you can take that possibility and then if you don't like it you can just go back <laughs> and you can change direction you know you can just undo and be like nah that wasn't a good choice let's do the other thing you know yeah 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 uh yeah i think that's good yeah like what were you what would if you if someone said hey jeremiah like what you you have to make a heavy metal like a black metal song how would you approach that um uh, i mean my first inclination would be like from the perspective of burzum which would be just yeah. like in solitude complete like rejection of of uh it sounding like it you know it should sound quote unquote but then i would probably think well that's way too much of a cop out and you know burzum sucks anyway so uh, okay but you don't you don't have a guitar so like right. you, don't you don't even really play guitar so like so yeah I, I, it would be going back to that thing i was talking about earlier with with ornette which is i would say okay well what is it about that music uh and i might look at it like um in more specific functional terms, which is, okay, well, what's going on, you know, harmonically, what's going on sonically, what's like, what is the presentation? And I would probably start there and I would make concerted effort to avoid easy connections, you know, like I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well, the, the, the drummer is blast beats. How am I going to make blast beats with the keys of my instrument? Like I would completely avoid that. I would say, okay, well, mm -hmm. what do I like about this black metal? Well, it kind of sounds like a wall of white noise. And then once you kind of get through it, you could sort of hear what the, what the ideas are. Okay. I, I might start with that. Let's start yeah. with like a sheet of white noise that has some, some, something kind of interesting happening that will take you, uh, a little bit of focus and clarity to find. Yeah. 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 See, anything like that is like you, you, you only have to start from like a small place. And then, and then a lot of the decisions end up getting made, made for you just by your own inspiration. Where you, then if you go back, you're like, man, I don't even know how I came to that conclusion. Yeah. And intuition. So, yeah. Intuition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that, I think, yeah. I think that's solid. Right. Um, Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Just one? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you picked the last one. It's gonna be this final this final one here. Okay. From Stuart. Okay. Yeah. So Stuart says So wait, real um, quick, this is yeah. This is Stuart Dalquist, the yeah. great. If you guys don't know Stuart, uh I check him out. Uh, he's got a band called Asva that Toby um performs with. He was in Burning Witch. He is like legendary bass player from Washington, makes amazing music. Um yeah, Stuart. Okay, Stuart says, I'd mentioned mushrooms on a post Toby had up on Facebook, and although I didn't phrase it as a question, it wasn't meant to be funny. I'm curious how drug use have affected both of your creative experiences. If the influence, while high in the thinking thereafter, changes perspective and output, if the altered mindset is a positive in the long run from a creative view, or do either of you think that the altered mindset can distance an artist from a prospective audience by simply becoming too weird 
hmm. for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then and then somebody else, a guy named Lewis Edwards, sent in a, uh, a similar question that says, the, "Oh, the music sounds so psychedelic. Um, how do how much do psychedelics? How much have they shaped your music and general philosophy?" So, um, Jeremiah, you want to answer first here? Yeah, there's a few places I would answer that from. Um, you know, I got into drugs and alcohol way too early in life. You know, I don't regret a lot of stuff, but if I could redo some things, I would probably go back because I do think it, you know, for as you know, if you start getting into mind altering substances when your brain is still developing, you have the potential to do seriously irreparable damage, which I think I did. Um, having said that, the other place that my mind goes, you know, the substance I mentioned this earlier that I really the only substance that. Um, I fuck with, I kind of have a problem with, which is alcohol and my, and I, so yeah, I think Stuart, you're asking about, you know, more transformative experiences with psychedelic drugs. Um, but I think, you know, the thing with alcohol, my rule of thumb, and I will tell a quick story about the time that I completely screwed up and made an ass of myself. Um, my rule of thumb is you can drink while you're mixing, but not while you're writing, you know? if you're in there tinkering around with things, like if you're repairing a car, you know, like I think it's cool, you know, and I think, you know, you can still make good decisions that you can go back later and refine, but to introduce alcohol to performance or, you know, any, any time you, um, really need to be your most present. I think, you know, you're, you're really making a poor decision. Uh, you know, a drink before a show, cool, loosen up with that. But I just, you know, I, I did a show one time about five years ago when I was at a pretty bad place in my life and it was this improvised jazz quartet. Um, it was me and Ryan Sawyer, uh, Patrick Holmes and Trevor Dunn. And in the audience was Trace Bruins. So Trey and Trevor, you know, of Mr. Bungle, the band that when I was in high school, I would have like killed people for had they asked me, you know, like I got completely hammered before the gig and played an absolutely shitty, sloppy, awful set of music and was absolutely mortified that, you know, there was this opportunity that I had to at least play, you know, the, it's, it wasn't even, it was simple, you know, just had to play well. And I completely, uh, I still regret that, and you know, I haven't I haven't played while intoxicated since then. Um, I don't know. I th- I think maybe that didn't answer Stuart's question. Well, but what about what about like um, how has it uh, affected uh, the way that you compose music, if at all? You know, has it given you any new ideas or anything like that? No, I mean listening. I th- I th- you know, uh, I have a hard time with stuff like pot and acid. It doesn't generally work for me, but I mm-hmm. t- it has been very good for listening. You know, I, I've smoked pot before when I've had like a, when I'm working on a piece of music and I'm not quite sure which way it needs to go. And then like, I'll I'll like take a hit of a joint and it's like, oh yeah, this is all I have to do. Like it does something to my listening that, that is very sort of interesting. So my answer to this question is that, um, that, uh, that I've, I've had plenty of experiences with psychedelics and they've, they've been positive and even even the bad trips I consider to be positive. Uh, and, um, and I'm grateful that I've been able to kind of engage with this in a healthy way and, um, and not, not, uh, destroy my, my brain and destroy the way that I function in the world. Um, 
because of because of how um, because of how much I like these experiences, I guess. Mm. And you know, when I'm when I'm in the midst of a psychedelic experience, I just kind of feel like I want to be like that all the time. And uh, and obviously, I I understand that it's not healthy to be like that all the time, and that you wouldn't really want to interact in the world in that way all the time. Uh, just considering that that other people aren't that way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I mean, if you're in the midst of a psychedelic experience and you interact with a sober person, it's just hell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just a horrible thing to do. You don't want to talk to any sober people at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, ru- they ruin everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, but the, but the way that that's affected music is that, is that, uh, the, the primary takeaway from these experiences is that you can really see the interconnectedness of everything. Mm-hmm. And you can really understand that, um, you can really understand how everything is a part of everything else. And, um, and I guess, um, the, the way that that can affect your music would be that if you can kind of, um, understand that, that the music that you make has, uh, has an identity and it has a place and, and that it's um, and that it's a part of nature, and that you know something, and that you're a part of nature, and that something that you create is a part of nature, and so this this thing that exists, um, you know, is this kind of like natural expression in a way, and um, and things like that, and then and then you can start to think about like, the way that things like harmonically resonate and how and how they they kind of like work together and things like that. But these things tend to make more sense when you're when you're um, in the midst of a psychedelic experience and then you have the, you get this kind of understanding of them that you later, you can't really explain very well because, um, because it doesn't really make as much sense anymore. But I think that that knowledge is, is still with you in a way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then in terms of just like the, the practicalities of music, um, you know, when you're, when you're in the midst of kind of like a experience like this, the way that you can hear music is like the, the hallucinations that you have, like you, you hear reverb and you hear delay and the, those things might not be there or they, there might be details that are enhanced. And, um, and that can give you a perspective about producing your own music and the, and the production elements of your music. And, and when you think about using delay in your, in your own music, you're like, Oh, this is actually just an emulation of, of this, this natural thing that's, that, that, that sometimes that you perceive and sometimes you don't perceive and um and you start to you start to see effects and kind of devices in your music instead of just like the kind of uh exact thing that they are uh you start to see like kind of meaning of them and the things mm-hmm. that they're trying to emulate i guess and uh and then the the kind of things that they're trying to remind you of and uh and then you can you can realize that all um all kind of like elements in art you know in paintings and things like that throughout history are related to um are related to to kind of like culturally based psychedelic experiences in some way mm-hmm. so for example this thought that i had a long time ago uh if if you look at um like if you look at tie dye okay <laughs> and, and you look at like a like like kaleidoscopic art and tie-dye and shit like that uh and you and you never have done uh a psychedelic drug and you see that and you're like oh that's hippie shit and then you finally do a psychedelic drug and then you start seeing tie-dye and you start seeing like kaleidoscopic shit you're like oh this is why 
this is why they use tie dye because it re- <laughs> because it reminds them of this. You know, <laughs> it's like a cave drawing. Uh, yeah, well, no, it is like a it is exactly like a cave drawing because if you think about um, priest, you know, prehistoric cultures or something where the psychedelic drug that they had might have been. Um, like a like let's say peyote for example which i haven't done but if you look at kind of like central american art and um and how it all has the same the same look mm-hmm. oh actually no way i sorry i did uh, i did salvia one time okay and uh and salvia is kind of also from like kind of the uh, central kind of american region mm-hmm. sort of salvia divinorum so um and and the kind of things that i saw were like these uh, a lot of um like triangle sort of things, like kind of series of triangles and things like that. And then you think of like a kind of um, like Central American blanket or something and the kind of the way the the artwork looks on that and how all that artwork looks that way. And you're like, man, I think that, I think that uh, this art looks like that because these, these kind of uh, things that people were eating kind of made them kind of see the world in this way. And then I was thinking like, Oh, in ancient Egypt, everything's like two dimensional and maybe they had some kind of psychedelic drug that made them see everything in a two dimensional way, hmm. you know? And, um, uh, just stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, or where, where you think of like the culture and then you think of like the art. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here's another example. Uh, if you think of like, um, like Czech uh, and like a uh, kind of Eastern European children's book art and how the Spooky kind of like shit. prime, yeah, and like how like the primary kind of drug around there is the Amanita muscaria, or at least like would have been at a time. What is it? I don't know what you that know, is. The, it's the red mushroom with the white spots on it, the okay. Alice in Wonderland yeah, mushroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so then, okay, then how does that affect the way that all that art has looked, and why does all that art look the same? You know what I mean? And and not that there's like an exact answer for this, but it just makes me think of the tie dye thing. And the reason that that hippie art looks like that is because it's inspired by the psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. And and but the psychedelic experience isn't unique to the hippie culture. It's been it's been something that people have been having for all 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 of human history. You know, psychedelic experiences. Just, just the drug is slightly different. Mm-hmm. The, the drug that kind of inspires it. And so then, how, and then how can that relate to your music? <laughs> and uh, and what are what are the things that you have during these experiences that then you like take into music and that these things that have been happening in music forever, such as let's say delay. Where did delay come from? You know, who was the first person that used delay? You know, was it like when the tape echo was del- was invented or something like that? Probably around then, you know. But but when was that? You know, and when if you want to look it up right now, it, but I'm probably like getting Jeez, onto something yeah. like exactly right. You know, like, yeah. like when was that invented and why was it invented and and then who was using it and then you're right. like, oh yeah, this this exists because because people were trying to emulate something that they saw in a dream or in a, in an experience, you know? And, yeah. um, anyway, um, but then Stuart asks in his questions, like, you know, does it, does not alienate your audience by becoming too weird? The answer is absolutely not because, because what artists do is that artists, artists serve to open up things that normal people can't access. And, and you, you know, we can have these experiences and then we can create these things in, like we can we can use delay, let's say, for example, in a song that a completely sober person that has never used a psychedelic drug can hear delay and be like, oh, that's such a cool sound. Well, they don't have to use the drug, you know? Mm-hmm. We already did that for them. Mm-hmm. And then we invented delay so that they could hear this, you know what I mean? So that they don't have to actually do it. And that's what that's what artists do. We we do these things that other people don't have to do. We dress weird and we look like freaks so that normal people don't have to do it 
and yeah. so that they so that they can go about their life and look like a normal person with a with a fucking suit on or whatever fuck they want to do and they listen in their headphones to some crazy shit while they're on the subway and nobody knows what a freak they are inside because some artist has already gone there and done that for them hmm. you know <laughs> and yeah. that's that's yeah. that's the purpose of what we do and hmm. it's the same thing as like you know we, artists you know there's this big question like why do artists suffer so much well, maybe it's because we have to. Maybe we have to. Maybe maybe we have to suffer so that other people don't have to, in order to have these kind of things that they experience. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> but that's 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 kind of like what what the psychedelics do for me. They make me think. Yeah, of stuff like that. I mean, you know, they're... <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say that, uh, and I said it. I, I think it might have got cut off when my, my computer crapped out for a minute. Um, for me, the the psychedelic drugs have always been very useful as a listener, uh, more than as as someone making something. And just a quick memory I have of that: I was like twenty years old, and I was taking acid, um, and I put on a "Love Supreme" by John Coltrane. And if you guys don't know that record, you know, like it's seminal, just in the world of you know anyone who's interested in anything should be should know uh, own that record and get to know it very well. But <clears throat> from the start of the record, uh, the second I heard Coltrane sax come in, I literally I felt this like whoosh of air, and the first thought I had was John. The sound of John Coltrane sax is the most beautiful sound ever heard by a human being on earth. And I just like stayed on this. I sat there and like on the edge of my bed, listened to the entire thing, and then and this is this still kind of like gives me chills to think about and even say this right now. But uh, the there's a four movement piece of music, and the last piece of music, uh, the last the last movement, uh, he's playing the sax, and I remember like getting like kind of scared because like it sounds like it's the sax is talking. It's this really slow movement called Psalm, and if you pull out the artwork to the record he composed a poem that was his devotion to God and he wrote the sax part as if he was speaking the poem. Mm -hmm. So not only did I feel like this saxophone was actually speaking to me like a voice, I then to like, I opened up the artwork and I was like, holy fucking shit. Like he is talking to me right now. And I think that experience and that music would be profound under any circumstances. But when you have completely like, when you've taken a psychedelic drug and sort of just given yourself to, you know, uh, an experience and series of expectations that are beyond anything you can even comprehend, it was easily, hands down, one of the most profound listening experiences of my life. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that um, brings up a really good practical thing, too, that, um, you know, if you're a composer um, and you, um, you want to put like a, a detail in your music um, or not even like an, an audible detail, but let's say you just want to put some meaning behind your music and there's like the, a really like kind of clever secret in your music and you are, are grappling with, man, should I even bother doing this because no one's ever going to understand it anyway? Um, this is a really good example because, because, you know, y- you should put these things in yeah. there because yeah. someday somebody's going to be on acid and they're going to be, they're going to be listening to it and then they're going to figure it out. And then, and then they're going to figure it out and then they're going to go verify that what they're, what they were thinking was true. And they're like, Oh my God, I knew this is so crazy. How did I hear this? You know? And, and it's a good question. It's like, how did they hear it? Because they, something in their mind was opened up and they could, 
they could tune into this thing that they might not have been able to tune into otherwise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So worthwhile to put to put all the secrets in your music. Yeah, definitely a thousand percent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, dude, I told you. Oh, never mind. I was just a different one. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So how'd we do, guys? I think we did okay. Um, Toby, thank you for 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 doing this. This was a nice way You're to spend welcome. a night in quarantine. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, it's always it's always a blast. And uh, guys, next week Charlie Looker is going to be on. You guys know Charlie. You love Charlie. Please send questions for Charlie and I to get into. Uh, until then, like, st- I don't know. I was going to say hang in there, but that's like <laughs> literally the only thing you can do. So I'm not going to say that. All right, thanks, All right. To- thank yeah. you, Toby. Be safe.